the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Welcome, welcome. I'm Justin Briley, theology and apologetics editor for Premier, sitting down once again with New Testament scholar and prolific author Tom Wright for your fortnightly dose of theology geek out. Uh, your chance to ask questions again. And the show brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and NT Wright Online. And today in episode 14, we're turning to your questions on the church, worship and unity. And I will be sitting down to record more episodes of the podcast with Tom shortly. So now is a good time to send your questions in. Uh, you can do that once you've registered over at the website, askntwrite.com. Uh, registering also gets you access to more episodes, bonus video content, all the exclusive prize draws we do, and the regular newsletter at askntwrite.com. Uh, you'll find a number of videos there if you go to the website, uh, including one in which Tom responds to a critique of his view of the second coming by Christian philosopher William Lane Craig. And I was interested to see this week that uh, Bill Craig has himself responded to that on his Reasonable Faith website. Uh, good to see the podcast generating some healthy theological dialogue in the blogosphere but as they if you want to get registered do go to the website askntwrite.com uh, without further ado let's get into this week's edition of the show It's my pleasure to sit down every couple of weeks, at least, with Tom Wright uh, to uh, get his thoughts on all kinds of questions that come in from listeners. And today, the theme that we've gathered the questions under is around the church and worship and unity and those sorts of issues. Lots of different questions coming in on this. Um, for you, Tom, would you say you've seen in your lifetime a lot of movement in the, the whole area of church unity churches willing to work together different denominations and yes so on. actually i have and it's been very exciting and encouraging um i i grew up in a, a a market town in central northumberland where there was uh there were two or three anglican church buildings but it was one parish mm. but then there were two quite different methodist churches which eventually they joined together and people oh they're, they're getting together now um there was a urc church which then was a congregational church mm. and then there was a presbyterian church they finally got together now some would say cynically well that's because they were all shrinking and they could only <laughs> afford one building between them but i think there's more to it than that i think as people were mobile and as broadcasting happened and people sort of bumped into each other whether in the shop or in the golf club or whatever um why, why are we different mm, from them mm, what mm. And, and a lot of those differences went back 100 or 200 years yeah. certainly the different types of methodism yes. did and people were saying sorry we're all singing the same hymns yeah. we're having yeah. basically the same stuff what what's what's this all about um and also some of the old prejudices have simply gone out of the window mm. that when i was um, a, a boy. I remember I had a good friend at school who was a Roman Catholic, and he came with me once um, from school back to my home. And one of my natural ways of walking home from school was through a large Anglican churchyard. And he courteously excused himself and explained that his mother had said that he shouldn't walk through an Anglican wow. churchyard because he was Roman Catholic. <laughs> Hard to imagine that happening it, today. Well, exactly, yeah. exactly. And and likewise, um, we had virtually nothing to do with the big Catholic church on the mm. other side of town. Mm. Um, didn't know the name of the priest or anything um now that is almost unthinkable mm. sadly not quite unthinkable mm. but you know when i was bishop of durham my two 
uh, closest ecumenical partners really were the Roman Catholic bishop on the one hand and the leader of the um, house church movement on the other. Mm. Um, and that, that was wonderful. And then we had very good relations with the Methodists and with the URCs and with the Baptists. There was even a small contingent of Syrian Orthodox in mm. one corner mm. of the diocese. Um, and uh, th- there was a strong sense that we're all about the same thing. You know, and, and that out there, there's a secular world which doesn't like us and doesn't understand us, and we just need each other. Mm. And particularly the way that some of the Roman Catholic leaders have um, embraced the ecumenical movement. I think of Cardinal Walter Casper, uh, a great theologian in his own right, written some wonderful books about mm. Jesus, about mercy, etc. He led for many years the Roman um, uh, the, the, the office that was mm. dealing with mm. other churches. And he produced a book called Harvesting the Fruits when he retired, mm. which is a collection of all the agreements, the Roman Methodist agreements, the Roman Orthodox mm. agreements, the Roman Anglican agreements, discussing the issues, basically concluding, come on, guys, you know, we're mm. all, we all mm. believe in the Trinity. Mm. We all do this. Mm. We all believe that. Um, and then it's a matter of, so why are we still in our separate <laughs> silos? Yes, and I think that's yes. where we've now got. Yes, but we've, uh, we've, we've come a long way. And I often find in my experience that very often people who are choosing, say, if they go to a new town, which church will I attend? Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. They're not really looking at the denominational label. They're simply sure. looking at the, the flavor, sure. if you like. Sure. It does this sort sure. of, uh, do I prefer to go to a, the, the more lively sort of church? Yep, yep, but you yep. might find that equally within an Anglican church as within yes, somewhere you else and you whatever might. it is. You might. You know. And... and uh, and I know this happens particularly in America. I have a lot of uh, American friends who, um, oh, well, you know, we moved from Chicago to somewhere else. And so uh, we really liked the preaching at the Presbyterian mm-hmm. Church. So we went there. Yeah, and yeah. and actually, it's not a big deal. Right. Um, well, let's turn to some of the questions that have come in from uh, from listeners. One, one in Ilkley asks this very simple question. First of all, says, I'm finding the program so helpful. Thank you. Well, thank you. And. Um, uh, now, this person says, people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. How would you reply to this? <laughs> well, if somebody on a desert island finds a Bible, reads it, discovers that Jesus is a living presence and that he or she wants to worship this Jesus, um, I guess that can happen. Um, you don't have to go to church to have a living so relationship I have heard Jesus. a wonderful joke on that front. You've probably oh, the, heard it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you end they, up with the church, <laughs> two churches, the one he goes to and the one he doesn't go to. I know, I know, I know. There are variants on that. I've heard it. Uh, Jonathan Sachs tells a similar thing about synagogues. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, every religion has it. Okay, yes, 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 I think so. Um, but there's so much about very early Christianity, which is what I basically study in the New Testament, which makes it clear that Christianity is a team sport. Mm. Um, Interestingly, when you contrast Christian virtue with pagan virtue, say Aristotle, Aristotle's virtues are all for the individual. Mm. I'm going to be courageous. I'm Mm. going to be noble. I'm going to be just, etc., etc. I'm going to be a leader of my community. The Christian virtues, things like humility, charity, um, uh, generosity, etc., you require a community to practice these. And so there's a sense in which when the Spirit of Jesus takes somebody over and when they are responding to the Spirit of Jesus, this will naturally become a communal thing. Mm. Now, so it isn't the case that here's this organization and wouldn't it be better if you as a a lonely Enlightenment individual (laughs) stayed aloof from it? That's a caricature. Mm. Obviously, it does sometimes feel like that. Mm. Um, But actually... 
we all need one another. We are none of us complete. Hence Paul's amazing image of the body of Christ, yes. that um, we are none of us anything like sufficient. Mm. That's why, I mean, for, for me as a scholar, when I write something about a passage in the New Testament, I want my fellow scholars to look at it and say, Tom, you've missed this text or you've mm. misinterpreted this word. We need one another. Mm. I don't think I'm getting mm. it all right. I need that feedback. Likewise in the church, and uh, often when I've lectured on what the kingdom of God might mean in the world tomorrow, that sort of thing, young people will come up to me and say, I see this amazing vision of the kingdom of God. Mm. What should I be doing? And I say, well, you cannot possibly do more than a tiny fraction of the mm. tasks that mm. need to be done. You need to be part of a fellowship in which the fellowship as a whole is saying, okay, prayerfully, we are committed to all these different things. Who is going to be good at this one? Who is going to be called to that one, etc.? And that should be something that's mm. happening worldwide as well. And then you see the church as this body with many limbs and organs out there in the world doing its thing. Imperfect, obviously, as course, it does that. But that I often find when I meet people who have, let's say, given up on church because they got hurt, they you know didn't didn't suit them. It you know. I often think, well, that's part of perhaps the challenge is, is yeah, to, to learn yeah. patience, oh, graciousness, yeah. Yeah. how to get along with people who, who annoy us. Of course. Um, that is part of the very idea of the whole thing. It's not yeah. simply there for, for our personal enjoyment. No, quite, and, quite. Uh, and you know. I remember when I was a student, all sorts of sermons with the usual slogan, you know, if you find a perfect church, <laughs> yes. don't join it because you'll spoil it. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I think with the wisdom of old age, I, I sometimes think that God gives us churches in order to teach us patience. You know, because, <laughs> and certainly as a priest and as a bishop, certainly sometimes yeah. how it feels. Equally, there are so many times as a priest and as a bishop, when you come away from a meeting or from hearing what somebody's doing in the uh, in drug rehab or whatever it mm. might be, or from a great service, and just think, I am so richly blessed yeah, to be part yeah. of a community that's doing all this stuff, which I could never begin yeah. to do by myself. Uh, Christian in Timisoara, I think I've pronounced that correctly, in Romania, mm. asks, what should be the undergirding theology of worship that shapes any one particular church's worship life and practice? And regardless of your Anglican heritage, if you were to embrace a particular Christian liturgical expression or tradition, which one would it be? And why? So two questions mm, there, really. Mm, 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 mm. It's a good question. And coming from Romania, <clears throat> I, I mean, I, Romania is one of the last Eastern European countries I visited not that long ago and uh, was friends just fleetingly with one of the bishops there, a delightful man. Um, and it seems to me there is a rapprochement, again, across different liturgical styles that Anglicans are more appreciative of Orthodox styles and Orthodox mm. often quite appreciative of Anglican styles. And so I think we are learning from one another. And uh, so I wouldn't want to answer the question in a way which implied that it's going to be either this or that mm -hmm. and never the twain shall meet. Um, but I do sense, and I've observed this over the years, that Different temperaments naturally go for different styles of worship. Some people want more words, more intellectual content, mm -hmm. more rational explanation. Other people really want and need to be given the space for some stillness, for some meditative music and mm. uh, possibilities for times of silence. Um, and then it's a question of 
um, okay, so are you just looking for somewhere to be cosseted in your own personality type? And actually maturity would say, well, yes, that's good, but then I also need to be joggled out of that yes. and to share with my brothers and sisters who are different from me. Mm. Um, mm. Stephen Sykes, the late lamented Bishop of Ely, who um, I knew very well, um, uh, Stephen said that unless everybody in church is a bit cross at some of the music or liturgy or whatever, we're yes. not doing it right. In right. other words, the yes. church ought to try. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. I'd be inclined to say that a service ought to have its own integrity, right. and then maybe at another time on the mm. Sunday you should have a service with a different right. integrity. Yes, sure. um, but then you should have those different music groups mm. working together in case they start mm. to get a sort of inverted and, snobbery. And I would say and, you know, my, my experience of church, you know, if, if I only had ever... Uh, had access to the type of worship that I grew up in yeah. I would have been very you know missed out on so much sure. by not sure. then experiencing it however occasionally uncomfortable I might have sure. felt it sure. was the process of doing that that made me suddenly realize there's a whole world of different expression out there absolutely and I think one of the things that we've realized um, from the Protestant side or many have is that the fear of ritualism um, is one thing, and there is a ritualism, but there is also a Protestant, there's a, there's a charismatic ritualism yes. where everyone has to raise their hands at a certain point. Yes. Um, and that is just as legalistic mm. as um, a Catholic or High Anglican crossing themselves. Yes. But actually, what, uh, again, I keep on quoting C.S. Lewis, <laughs> what we do with our bodies affects everything, mm. um, which is why kneeling is important. Now, here's the thing H how many churches do you know now where they actually kneel regularly? There's not that many. That's true. It went out about 20 years ago, quite suddenly, I think in the 90s. Mm. And suddenly, um, even though there were still kneelers, people would just <laughs> sit instead. Yes. And I want to say, actually, we've lost something there. Mm. Again, mm. the late lamented Colin Slee, who was Dean of Southwark, he and I used to join hands on this. We didn't always agree <laughs> about other things, but, but we both agreed that actually kneeling was good for you and that if you're in the presence of God Almighty, then actually kneeling is the easy alternative of getting flat on your face um, and simply slouching in a, in mm. a, a seat. Yes. Just or, or doing the, the crouch as some oh, people doing do. the crouch well, yeah yeah <laughs> a crouch may be better than sort of sitting back and putting your feet up but because because you know even in in my in my private prayers day by day um there are certain moments when if i find that i'm sitting with my legs crossed i just think actually that's that's mm. inappropriate I'm yeah in the presence of god here The Ask N.T. Write Anything podcast is brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and N.T. Write Online. Now, N.T. Write Online is the place where you can find all of Tom's online theology courses taught by Tom himself in video format. Now, if you've been around church, you probably know the Lord's Prayer. But have you ever really thought about it and why Jesus gave it as the model for talking to God? In his brand new course, Tom will guide you through the context that informs the Lord's Prayer, the deeper ideas in it you may not have noticed, and practical ways in which the Lord's Prayer can shape your daily spiritual practices. And podcast listeners can get it absolutely free. Just go to ntwriteonline.org forward slash askntwrite. Clay in Cambridge says something that troubles me and no one seems to know the answer to is how do we know we're in the right church or denomination, learning the right teachings from the word? 
uh, with Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholics, Anglicans, C of E, and every other denomination, all varying in opinion. How do we decipher if we're in the right place? I'm not sure what feels like the right place really cuts it. My faith was so simple when younger, <laughs> says Clay. I love God. He loves me. But as I'm older and you try to learn and understand more, you realize all the splits. And we all agree we love God, but we, we got it right. So we're all divided in our terms. <laughs> anyway, so lot, lots going on there, Clay's. Um, obviously, he, he puts a whole group of sure. different denominations together and says, how, how do you know you're in the right one? Yes. Yes, uh, and and put like that, there is no way of knowing. But then, knowing is such a funny concept, anyway. Um, uh, and the, the question almost sounds as though there ought to be a scientific test where you could put a coin in the slot and it would say this is where you should be, and then you won't have to think about it anymore. And I, I suspect that with our present denominational chaos, we ought to feel uncomfortable, um, because uh, after I wrote my big book on Paul some years ago. I was going the rounds doing conferences and so on and, and people kept asking me if St Paul could come back today <laughs> what would he be most keen to say to us and I unhesitatingly say he would be horrified not just that we are disunited but that we don't care mm. because for Paul the unity of the church is absolutely vital. if you're not united mm. why would Caesar take any notice of you yeah. if you're not united why would anyone believe that there really is mm. a new creation um, and so he battles for church unity mm. across some very difficult divides all the time in every single letter. When, when the um, easy thing would have probably been just to let people do exactly, their different thing exactly, and not exactly, really communicate with exactly. each other. But the whole, part of the whole point of Romans, not the whole point, but part of the whole point, coming together in Romans 14 and 15, is that you may with one heart and mind and voice glorify the God and Father of Jesus. Yes, you come from this tradition. Yes, you come from that synagogue community, so you're worried about this. And now, But here's how you learn the mm. humility of mm. christ to, to come together and worship together and that's the sign to caesar that jesus is lord and he isn't it really really is so i want to say we ought to be uncomfortable and that probably the right thing to do is to start where you are and as you pray about where you are if you feel increasingly uncomfortable as people sometimes do then pray look around see what the alternatives are now this is easy if you live in a big town with lots of different mm -hmm. churches it's quite difficult if you live in a smaller town 15 miles away from anywhere else with only one real active church mm. where if you then get somebody who's preaching really drives you up the wall <laughs> are you going to drive 15 miles well right. that might depend yeah. whether you have children who need to go to sunday mm -hmm. school some people will choose to go to a church that they feel they'd really rather not, but they feel if everyone yes. doesn't go, then it'll be all yes. the worse. So these are these are hard choices that people make. Um, and, uh, you know, when I retire, which, please God, won't be too long uh, uh, coming, there will be a question. Yeah. Um, what are we going to do on Sunday morning? Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting just, just to come back quickly to that question that um, Clay does here mention at the beginning of that list, Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, yes, yes. are there some sort of doctrinal issues, e.g., the Trinit being a Quite. Trinitarian church I, yes, that, that I, would I, say... I wasn't, I wasn't okay. going to comment on that, but, but yes, it was rather odd to have JWs at the front there. Um, but of course, many people looking from the outside would see Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, blah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. It's all, all one of the same. And, yeah. and, and often in America, I've seen people lining up Catholics, Protestants, and Jews as though these are three of the same sorts <laughs> right, of things. Yes. And most Jewish people would say, um, no, that's not <laughs> how it is. Um, but so the, the different public perceptions are very odd. Yes. Um, so, yes, I, I would say 
please make sure it's Trinitarian. Please make sure that the Bible is read and taught. Please make sure that it has the Eucharist, the bread breaking, call it what you will, somewhere in the center of its life. Now, that might be once a year. It might mm. be once a week. But but yeah, that, that's, that's there are some distinctives which, which, some distinctives. which, which yes, kind yes. of have to be in place. Sure, um, sure. Yes. Um, coming back to the, the sort of idea of ecumenism and especially on a global level uh, anna in brazil asks many christian leaders have been talking about a potential revival in christianity around the world bringing episcopalians catholics and reformed christians together so what is the balance between striving for unity and a critical attitude towards the limitations of each denomination or theological tradition um, and anna says wouldn't it be quite insensitive to overlook deep differences for the sake of common goals um, what's yeah. your thought on that? It, it would, it would. But this is where the crucial thing is, um, what is the common core? And um, Rowan Williams did a lecture in Rome some years ago, um, I think it was 2009, where he, as it were, laid down this challenge. We know we agree on the Trinity, the resurrection, incarnation, atonement. Um, we all invoke the Holy Spirit. So uh, what's to stop us getting together? And if, I think his point was then about the doctrines concerning Mary, mm. that if um, you say, well, you can't give up your Marian things and we don't want to take them on, is that, is that a difference we could live with? Mm. Because within some Catholic teaching, it wouldn't be a difference you can live with. You've got to take the whole package. Although many Roman Catholics will say privately that actually they'd be happy uh, if that wasn't a, a necessary thing. So I think we come back to those same questions. How do you tell the differences, the difference between the differences that make a difference and the differences that don't make a difference? But we ought to those are not easy questions, but if we were at least working at them, mm. raising those questions in that way, we might get somewhere. And so I want to say, yeah, um, there, there was a, a theologian taught at King's London and before that in Oxford, Eric Maskell, in a previous generation. And somebody said, um, we in the Church of England don't know um, why we have deacons because it's just the first year of somebody being ordained so why mm. don't we just make them all priests straight away mm. and Maskell quoted and I'm, this is apropos the different bits that we don't quite understand he said he once talked to a Swiss doctor who said to him uh, your English doctors don't know what tonsils are for and so they take them out I do not know what tonsils are for and so I leave them in that's <laughs> um, so, so a great line yes, yes. you know that, that, that maybe there was a reason for that maybe there wasn't but maybe mm, there was mm, mm. and maybe it's the path of humility to say let's learn from each other uh let's finish with a final sort of pastoral sort of question someone someone who's just at the beginning i suppose of of looking ahead to pastoring christians in churches matt in durham north carolina says what encouragement would you have for a first year seminarian i assume that is matt himself who is grasped by a vision of the kingdom come but is wrestling with what that vision will look like in predominantly rural churches in the American South that can be resistant to change. And mm. I suspect there are similar churches in the sure. UK that might be oh, of the same sort. Oh. Uh, Matt, if you want some examples of churches that are resistant to change, <laughs> I could introduce you to several. Um, <laughs> famously, um, it was, it's in one of the books about John Habgood, sometime Archbishop of York, when he arrived at some parish and, and met the church warden, discovered the church warden had been there for sort of 35 five years and said you you must have seen a lot of changes during your time yes he said and i opposed them all <laughs> and, and yeah and i i understand that yes. i i come from a very traditional church mm. um and my father was a church warden and he didn't oppose all the changes mm. but there's a sense of 
this is where we're at home. Mm. Like if you introduce a new liturgy suddenly, then people feel as though they're not wearing the right clothes. Mm, mm. And that's a cruel thing to do to people when mm. they've come in humility to worship God. And so if you're going to make changes, you have to have a strategy for how to do that. So if it was, for instance, a new style of liturgy, modern words or whatever, you might want to have uh, a whole Lent course where for six weeks you'd have people on Wednesday evenings looking at here are some options, this is how some people elsewhere do it, this is what we think now, and, and make sure that mm. the key movers and shakers in the church are part of that yes. and not resi- not standing aloof. Um, it, that's really difficult. Mm. But it's why, for instance, the Curcio movement, which my wife and I met when we were in Montreal, um, insisted that people could only come from uh, a parish when the bishop of the diocese had already been to a Curcio, so it wouldn't be a breakaway movement, mm. and that lay people in a parish could only go if the parish priest had already been, etc., etc. And in the traditional form, um, uh, wives would only yeah, go if the husband had been You mentioned this in first. a previous podcast. Oh, did podcast I? Right. You did, oh, I'm yeah, sorry. But, but no, no, it's fine. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. no, it, it illustrates but, the point it well. It illustrates yes. the point that um, change can happen, but if it's rammed through, um, without explanation this can be very cruel yes um and i think um the, you, the, it's good to take people with you oh, it's vital to take people yes. with you yes I, and, i've seen churches i must confess where i've seen good examples where changes happen and bad yeah, examples yeah, 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 and yeah, in yeah. The, the difference for me has been the ability of that leader to bring people to with bring them. people along with yes yes and and that means the slow Mm. prayerful work of getting to know the people and it probably happening on a longer time scale than than you would prefer yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's right parish priest comes in or (laughs) minister comes in and says okay um a couple of weeks time we're gonna be doing this this and this (laughs) uh yeah excuse me um and there is such a thing as leadership but um i think i may have said this to you in a previous podcast (laughs) in that case the thomas the tank engine principle no you haven't tell us the thomas the tank engine principle (laughs) because my name is tom um, (laughs) and i when i was a little boy it was when the first thomas the tank engine books were coming out in the late 40s early 50s and one of the stories which naturally i remember vividly is thomas um being very excited and steaming away out of the station and getting a mile or two down the road and thinking this is fun and then the driver looks back and the carriages weren't coupled on ah. and they're still in the station he has to go back and get them um and so that's always been for me quite an important yes thomas story um written by a, a minister no, no uh, of less, course of uh, course yes and i'm sure uh, i mean uh, quite a lot of his stuff was rather quaint allegories <laughs> and uh, there from, may well from have been pastoral there. life Absolutely. i'm sure it was hope that's helped in some way matt <laughs> in durham uh, and all the very best with your forthcoming <laughs> ministry um Tom, thank you very much as well for sharing time thank with you. us to talk through church issues, unity, worship and and such like. Uh, look forward to another edition of the programme in a couple thank of you. weeks' time and uh, we will meet again soon. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thanks for being with us for this week's edition of the podcast, launching another signed book giveaway competition on the next edition of the programme. You will be entered automatically for that if you just get yourself registered at asknttwrite.com. Anyone who's already registered gets automatically entered for prize draws. That means your name will be in the hat when we draw the winners. And of course, it gets you all those additional episodes, bonus video content and the rest of it too. Uh, next time, Tom's going to be answering your pastoral questions with the big caveat that he can't obviously pastor any 
anyone on a podcast, but he will be giving his off-the-cuff responses to some of the emotional and spiritual questions that have been sent in by listeners. So look out for that on the next episode. For now, thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Let other people know about this show by rating and reviewing it in your podcast provider. For more podcasts from Premier, visit premier.org.uk slash podcasts.